Hey guys, Dan here. I want to say a massive thank you to our new sponsors, Fight Fuel UK. Fight Fuel UK are a sports supplement and clothing company for the boxing, MMA, and martial arts community. Be sure to check out their great products on fightfuel.co.uk. And remember, guys, by supporting our sponsors, you support the podcast. Thank you for listening and please enjoy this episode. Here we are with the BKK boys. How are we doing? We've got Mr. Lee Mitchell, we've got Central Steve Amable, we've got the man, Jack Mason himself. Look at this. Our studio, our studio audience can't handle it. It's so much excitement. I know. So wild. Absolutely wild. All this new content we got. So, Jack, you missed the party already. I've had the conversation with the boys about it, so I want your opinion. So, how is life with Fisticuffs fame? You've It's your second feature on the podcast now. Are people stopping you in the streets now? What's going on? No, we're in the street. <laughs> if, they, if they were, they'd be stopping you, I think. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they yeah, going on, then, yeah, they would be, definitely. He's a changed my, man. Yeah, my uh, inundating with messages and people watching it. No, to be fair, I, I've got, like, I've got a lot of cousins. I've got maybe 45, 50 cousins. I, I, I can't count, but... Um, some of them I haven't spoken for a long time. Messaged me saying they listen to podcast. So, uh, so yeah, either they're really bored and they've they've got done of Netflix, but or yeah, or it's, it's been a good, big success. It's the so, yeah. bringing families together. Look at that. I'm sticking that on the website. Here we are. It's the website, so it would be you know getting there. That's gonna be a new slogan or something. Bringing families together. Completely turned its head from being like a bit of fun to like you know we're trying to reunite people and make sure they really connect. And, yeah. It's one of them ones. Like, like a new Jeremy Carl. <laughs> All right, so let's hit some home truths at the minute, boys. What is the current weight situation saying? So, Lee, you fight at Bantamweight. What are you now? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, nah, to be fair, I'm not actually that bad. I'm, uh, I weighed myself when I got in from work and I was like 68 kilos, but I look fatter. <laughs> I'm 68 kilos, but I think the scales are lying to me or something because I look fatter than that. <laughs> and I feel heavier than that. Maybe it's all in the hat and the hair. Who knows? Like Samson. Yeah, maybe. Maybe there's a few, like, a kilo of hair or something. <laughs> Jack's not got that problem, but... <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, all fighting words come to the podcast. That's, you know... <laughs> Steve, what are you saying? What was the biscuit saying? Yeah, I'm only 78, but obviously, I'm saying I've lost a bit of muscle and replaced it with fat, so I'm probably... I'm still the numbers are still the same, but I'm probably still a bit fatter than normal. Getting the body armor in. Oh uh, yeah, but body 78 armor. is not bad. What about you, Jack? What's the weight say? Uh, 98 at the moment. It's all in the Powerful. It's all right. It's what you want. It's thick. I uh, I was in at the peak of lockdown. I think I was 105. Oh. Not, I'm not big boy. Oh. Mm. Ooh. I mean, that, that's impressive. That is. I'd love to be under a kilo. I mean, I'm just lanky and bacon, really. <laughs> if I get under kilos, my back starts hurting. I find it difficult to get off the, get out of bed and stuff. So I, I had to lose some weight. Any work shirts fit you anymore, Jack? Uh, I, I haven't worn a work shirt in about six months. <laughs> is it like a Mr. Incredible? Yeah. You know, <laughs> just best and shorts. So what's going on, yeah. going on like training wise? You guys been doing stuff or not really? Yeah, we've been doing a bit. Um, 
every day actually, but only for like an hour and hour and a half a day. Um, but it's been good. Uh, it's, yeah. I mean, like, what's the current like situation with that? Then are you just hitting the bags, are you doing pads, are you sparring, are you like? I don't know. Obviously, sneaky sneaky training doesn't get mentioned on the podcast. That's you know behind closed doors, but government guidelines. Social distancing. Yeah, we are. He knows he's got a mask on. <laughs> <laughs> Social distancing, sparring. Exactly. Yes. Obviously, no, all good, I think it's been nice training after work and all that. Like, obviously, training outdoors and stuff. When it's like mega hot, but it's been cool training every day. Just like doing bits of grappling and stuff, and then going into some techniques and just just nice to be back doing some drills and stuff to be honest for me it's uh i haven't managed to get down yet still a bit of an odd time for me all the little ones so i just gotta sort of work out some tolerance and then get back into it but yeah i bought bought, i've got bought a punch bag and a spin bike though which how many times have you used it uh (laughs) Bit decoration. Sp- I went on the. Sp- I was on the spin bike. Have you even unpacked it? What's that? I said, have you even unpacked it? No, I was on the spin bike when we started at eight o'clock. So I did twenty minutes then, but that's well, the that second was a, time. That was a pop on it. It's a little. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've used it twice since I've had it. So twice in a month. I haven't. The bit the that's boxing bag still lying on the line in the garden. Professional athlete. Yeah. Elite. Elite level athlete. <laughs> that made me laugh when uh, when everyone kind of first see each other for the first time, like after like weeks and weeks and weeks. Like you obviously see it's like oh elite level athletes and this and the other. We all turn up and we're all fat. We all got long stupid haircuts. Like <laughs> yeah, we look we look really elite. Like the best of the best. <laughs> That's it. Leave Jack out of this. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> Regards are like keeping in touch with everyone on that same sort of note. Are you guys like chatting a lot? Are you doing your own things? What's going on with that? You had your bake off, didn't you, at the start? Yeah, me yeah, and we Cutty were, Dells were having doing, a bit of bake off. We were um, doing the quizzes every Saturday night, weren't we? Yeah. Um, that sort of fizzled out a little bit now. But the start of lockdown, it was pretty regular. Um, Lee joined one time and <laughs> he hammered. <laughs> and it was not very pretty. Stayed for like 10 minutes. What the fuck minutes. was going on? Was bollocks. <laughs> Just swearing all the time. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't know what was going on really. I couldn't I couldn't understand the questions. <laughs> Were you even pissed at that point? No, no, he's oh, well. <laughs> no I was bad to be fair. <laughs> what are you boys like on a night out? Have you gone on like proper like group nights out? like the BKK gang. Like who, who's what? Yeah. Who's responsible? Who's boring? Who's what? Who's messy? Uh, well, the last time I drank with anyone from the gym was when we was in Italy before Christmas. <laughs> like me, me, Charlie, and Jack <laughs> was in Italy, and uh, that was fucking. That was quite funny, to be fair. Like, uh, it was good. Charlie, Charlie didn't get out of bed till like five. Well, yeah, five o'clock the next day. <laughs> and then yeah, when he did, he kind of scuttled well, to the <laughs> But no, we stuck. They this we met this guy actually, and um, he obviously see like I was a bit bruised up and everything. He looked at Charlie's messed up ears, looked at Jack's ears, and was just like, "Oh, he's like MMA guys. He's like, you drink with me for free." Started literally just like getting us drinks and stuff, and then it 
I don't I don't remember much really after that. What about you, Steve? You you, um, that's <laughs> Steve. Steve. Was there? Is there any nice and sensible? Are you um little party animal? Uh, to be honest, wrong? most of the time after, after my fights, I'm sort of still quite away from home, so I've still got to travel home. Never really get to have an after drink. So yeah, pretty pretty boring, really. Oh, heartbreaking. Well, Married. Jack, you in the corner just sipping on a couple of tinnies or what's going on? Between my uh, I'm normally wait. If Sean Carter's there, then I've normally got a supervisor in because he's a, he's a fucking nightmare. <laughs> um, there's been many, it's, <laughs> there's been many occasions that uh, that he's been that he's been in trouble. Um, there was a there was a hotel room. And not I'm not going into too many de- too many details, <laughs> but he got, got a bill eight hundred quid uh, then the next day for uh, to clean shit off the walls of the hotel room. <laughs> <laughs> for everyone listening that is not Jay-Z that is a man who trains with these guys who is also called Sean Carter it's, that is not exclusive of Jay-Z throwing shit on the walls <laughs> if only it was that'd be something wouldn't it that'd get the podcast off the ground wouldn't it <laughs> fucking hell so many occasions like that but yeah that's one more than one one is too many <laughs> What about you, Lee? You're throwing shit on a wall? Uh, not like I can remember. No, I, def- I definitely haven't thrown shit on the wall. No, definitely not. But it's not too late. It's not too late for that. Are you <laughs> I've, still got, I've still got time. I've still got time. Always time. All right. Well, That's it. Let's get on to some actual like, UFC talk and stuff like that. So at the weekend, just gone. I mean, it's going to be a bit later than that when it comes out. But recent UFC, a corner stoppage. That whole Robert Drysdale thing. Have you guys all seen it? What one was that? I've only seen the bit from the corner. I haven't actually seen the fire or anything like that. Let's go with the situation. So the fire keeps saying, I'll call it, call it, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. Whereas the coach Robert Drysdale is like, no, you're fine, you're a champion. Just properly like not letting him accept he's going to lose. And they end up calling it before the round starts. What do you think of like that kind of situation where the fighter wants out? So say... Just use you guys as an example. So say, I don't know, Lee, your next fight, winning the first round, losing the second round, on the in that corner time between the second and the third, you're saying to Jack, do you know what? I can't do it. What is your point of that, Jack? You sort of say, do you know what? Stop being a pussy or like, do you know what? It's your well-being. You is, yeah, thing. I was going to say, Jack would, uh, would never Stop being ever. A pussy. Yeah, Jack would always would never call a fight if I asked him to. <laughs> like, I know it. I know it for a fact. Like, like just just if I was being a pussy kind of thing, like if I was like mega, mega gassed or like if I was just felt like I was, I don't know, maybe took a beating or a little bit of a hiding or whatever. I know I know Jack isn't the type of coach to to be like, oh, okay, oh, that's fine, Lee. Like, we've only, we've only trained for God knows how long for this kind of thing. I know, I know he, wouldn't, like bed, he wouldn't even entertain it, basically. Well, let's <laughs> really in your mouth. It really depends on the depends on the fighter, though, you know. Um, I, I think in that situation, you know, uh, with, with the Drysdale, uh, I, I don't, I can't remember the name of the, the fighter, but he, um, it's his UFC appearance, his first UFC appearance, and he'd, um, he got he'd done all that work to get there. His manager had pestered Sean Shelby to get him in there. 
he took it, you know, it's a dream come true. I, could, I, I would think that Robert Drysdale would have, would have thought he definitely had the guy's best wishes, um, in, you know, best interest in, in mind when, you know, the guy, although the guy was losing, he wasn't, he wasn't seriously hurt. He was just potentially mentally, you know, mentally weakened or mentally broken, maybe. And I, I, I think Drysdale probably thought that his fight could dig deep and go and get that win because he was he's confident in his ability. Um, and in that situation, I think Drysdale did the right thing, if I'm honest. Because um, I, I think he, he would have thought that the fighter would have looked back on it and regretted that decision. Um, that's, that's my personal opinion. If the fight was genuinely hurt, um, then then it's a different story. But he wasn't, you know, he he was losing, but he wasn't um, he wasn't like injured really, um, and yeah, I, I I probably would have done the same thing as Drysdale. I think. I mean, this is a really interesting point, and the whole argument really is: if you're in that vulnerable mental state of, I don't think I've got this. I think I'm going to lose. If you don't snap out of that, you then basically are waiting to get knocked out, waiting to get finished, or expecting it. And again, you the need thing that kind is, of prompt. Go on. No, right. So I don't listen. You know, I don't think you'll be honest with yourself as a fighter um, if you if you say that you have never thought about quitting or being mentally weak in a fight. I, I know I've been I've been in situations where. Uh, I, I can. There's one particular time I fought this guy called Edgerton Lou, Lou and he, this was back, back in the day on Cage Rage, and um, I, I was, I think I was winning the, I was winning the fight. It was around and a half down. Uh, I'd used up a lot of gas, taking the guy down a lot, um, and he reversed the position, um, and he, he, he was raining down punches from on top, and I was, I was. Uh, I was on my back in guard and he hit me a few punches. And I, th and I know that a thought went through my mind, you know, shall I just let him hit me a bit more and then the ref will stop it? And then, you know, I, I could have made that decision and I think a lot of fighters do. Um, but I, I then had a second thought. I thought, no, I'm going to continue. And, and I continued and then I reversed the position and, and got a choke and, and beat him. You know? So every fighter, I think, has a ment mentally weak points in fights. I don't know about me or, or, or Steve, but I, I've definitely been there. And I, I would think that as a coach, if you're confident in your fight, you would think they would be able to overcome those points in a fight. You know, if it's, if it's, a, if it's a fight that's always going your way, then it's not a fight, is it? So uh, you're beating someone up. So if, if you're not matching against an opponent that's able to, to beat you if you're not on your game, then then it's not a real fight. So I would I would think that Drysdale did the right thing. My my personal opinion. See, I completely agree with that. And again, this is the sort of side of the hindsight of okay, I did that. I was in that situation, reviewed it, and I then chose one option of staying in it, and then came out on top. So you've got that experience with it. I think the place where people are coming from with the backlash of it again is. If you don't have that sort of, you know, film ending of, oh, I came back from this adversity and I've had this moment of glory of, okay, I made the right decision to hang in there. 
if he goes in there with a weaker mindset and takes a like an absolute hiding just because he wasn't mentally in the place for it, despite being mentally encouraged like that, it then becomes a bit of an awkward situation of he wanted to quit, you didn't let him quit, and it's a bit of a funny one. Like Steve, if you had a situation in a fight you can remember where you've had that kind of mental point of I don't know, wanting to find an easy way out to then shake it off as such. Um, not, not sort of during a fight. I've come back at sort of end of the rounds and thought to myself, "Ah, oh, I'm, I'm losing. I'm going to lose this fight," sort of thing. Um, but I can't think of any time during a fight where I thought, "Ah, oh, shall I just give up?" Sort of thing. Um, nothing, nothing like that. No, just. If the fight's not going my way and sort of just like like I just said, in between the rounds, I might start thinking to myself, uh, you start getting down, sort of thing, oh, I'm, I've lost this fight, I'm I'm gonna lose this fight, sort of thing. But that's that's about it really for me. No I don't think I've been in a position um and thought that, you know, oh, I'm gonna let him win, sort of thing. Or I could, you know, give up now. Jack, when one of your guys has a bad round, how do you find of making them deal with that loss of a round to then pick them up again? Are you quite morale-based in your approach? Are you like, you're smashing it, you're going to do really well? Or is it a case of, okay, accept that, this is strategically what we're going to do? What's your initial, I don't know, approach to coming back off a round loss to then bring them back to the second? Yeah, it depends on the fighter, really. You know, like, um, uh, it might be a change of... Um, yeah, it might be a change of tactics. Depends how the fight's going, really. Like usually, um, it's tactics from what I remember from yeah. you being in my yeah. corner. A lot of the time, it's technique based. You're doing this right. You're doing this wrong. Keep doing yeah. this. Maybe doing this differently. From what I remember, anyway. Yeah, um, honestly, you like you. will always say, "Oh, right, you've lost that round. We need to do this. We need to do that." You know, you're capable of beating him, sort of thing. All strategic, but honest. Yeah, yeah, definitely and, honest. And sometimes, you know, um, sometimes there there are other, other guys that like um, who just need a boost as well. You just need to slap them and you know, just <laughs> you know, like just te- you know, tell them just come, come on, you know, that type of thing. You know, it really depends on. It depends if you've lost a, a round from because the guy's being better strategically than you then. Sometimes you know you just need someone to dig deep. So really, it really depends on the situation. I have had um, so I had a, top, I had a um, situation where uh, uh, there's a guy called Toby you know McLaren. I was uh, just thinking, I was just going to mention yeah. Toby's name. Yeah. Yeah. So, so so Toby so Toby right is um he's never had, he's not had a pro fight and he hasn't actually been at the gym for a while because he uh he had some personal issues but um. Or, Change the circumstance anyway, um, but but Toby's Toby's autistic, um, but he's he's he was always an absolute beast on the mat and and a savage in, in the in the cage as well. Um, I think he his record as an amateur is twelve and one, and the the one uh, one he lost was a um, no, I think it's twelve and zero, one draw, something like that. Anyway. Um, but he, it was, this was a fight in uh, Whiz Beach, I think, and he was fighting this tough Polish guy, and, and he come back after the first round, and he was a 
it's a really tough round. And he was like, uh, I don't want to go back out there. I was like, Toby, you've got to go back out there. You, you can, and he said, I think it's for a title as well, but Toby, you've got to go back. He's like, I'm not going back out there. Like, you, you are going back out there. They ended up having an <laughs> argument. And he was, the thing is, I could, he was so angry at me about, about not going back out there because he said he was too tired. But he was so animated. Do you know what I mean? Like, he was motive, that kind of thing. Yeah, he was so animated. He was clearly not tired. About and I don't know I don't know what it was, but anyway, I managed to. I basically, I think I, I slapped him a couple of times. I slapped him on the arm, and he uh, and then he went back out there and killed the guy, like killed. <laughs> I think he dropped him, mounted him, hit him, and the guy turned over and he choked him. And you know that sort of thing. It's like it's so tough. I, I know that I made the right right decision, but. You know, it could always could always go the wrong way, couldn't it? You know, some some guy could say, "I don't really don't want to go back out there and go go out there and, and get hurt." So it's it's definitely a tough one, and you have to know your fighter. And I think I would I would stand by Drysdale and say that he he knew his fighter, and he he probably thought he was doing the best thing for him. Did and, you learn more from the strikes than um, Toby's opponent did? Pardon. Did you land more significant strikes Selling. than Toby's opponents did? <laughs> yeah, pretty much it. <laughs> Give him a slap. <laughs> yeah, tough situation, but I would always, in most, in ninety percent of the cases, trust the coaches. I think. I mean, that's it as well. I mean, a huge part of when it comes to watching it, you're only seeing the quote-unquote finished product. Like, you don't know yeah. what they've been like in the gym. You don't know what kind of approach they need. And if they need a bit of smothering and they need a bit of, you know, tough love or whatever. It's always a, yeah. a learning process anyway. Like, and I think, you know, that, that guy, um, you know, Dana White sort of came out in, I wouldn't say he came out in support of him, but he said that, you know, the guy's, the guy always has the option to quit and I'll never, I'll never hold it against them. For quitting in the fight so but what he what he didn't say and, and what he i'm sure he, that he means was as a person he can quit whenever he wants but as a ufc fighter yeah we're probably not gonna have you back because fight's not for you i think that's what i think that's what he means reading between the lines I mean, that's always a kind of, It way. must be obvious, though, really, at that level. You can't... You, yeah, you can't... Um, I don't think you can do it at that level. Every, every, you know, everyone works so hard to get there. If you don't want to be there, um, that's fine, obviously, as a, as a human being. No one's forcing you to be there. That's fine. But as a, as a fighter, and especially as a, an elite fighter, you know, you, you, don't, you don't belong there if you're going to quit. In, in you know, especially in a fight that you you know you're not winning, are you? But um, you weren't you know seriously hurt. I mean, this is a huge part of it all. When it comes to the UFC, they're so they're so spoilt for options. They can be picky. They can set their own rules. They can set their own sort of thing. Like everyone's saying about fighters getting paid and stuff. I mean, they've got the monopoly. People want to be UFC fighters. They will take a shit wage. They'll take being mistreated to be a UFC fighter. Yeah. And there's people absolutely chomping at the bit to get on that shit page to get the acknowledgement of being a UFC fighter. 
And this is why they can set these kind of unreasonable standards. Like, regards of... Um, if I'm honest, I don't think it's unreasonable. Um, for, for instance, like, you know, if you had... I don't know, you're in a World Cup final and you and you had... Um, but um yeah so say say you was you know you're in the in the final for the world world cup and and he's got penalties got to take a penalty and he goes uh oh, i can't really do the pressure i'm not gonna take it well you wouldn't have it you wouldn't have him back to take penalties again, would you? you? You wouldn't. You just wouldn't risk it. Um, so if you if you're if you're trying to compete at the elite level, you can't, you can't be that guy that's gonna gonna quit when the pressure gets too much or when you're not winning the fight. I mean, that's always an yeah. interesting part as well because it's meant to be a fight. It's not meant to be a. You don't tend to get the same sort of level of journeyman. You don't get the people who are there just to take a beating just to like build someone up as such. You'll get the existing people who want to squeeze the last of their contract to try and fill those gaps. This is why it's so tricky. Like, how do you guys feel with the pressures of, like, both you and Lee and Steve, how do you feel with your careers, that pressure to be on the UFC's radar, sort of diverting from your actual, I don't know, start as such, to try and make it more marketable, try and get this extra bit? How do you find that balance with being your own person as well, if you see what I mean, with your own progression? Wonder I stay? Oh, there we go. Um, uh, oh, who's going? So I don't. So for yeah, me, right now, obviously, I, I, for me, obviously, I still, I still work full time job. I'm not. It's not like I'm a part of like a massive organization or anything like that, that pays me anything. So I feel like it's probably the wrong question for me at the minute. Obviously, everyone wants. To, obviously, my hopes and dreams are to be a part of a massive organization and make that my job one day. I feel like it would be for everyone who's in the same position as me early on in their pro career. Um, but for me, I just want to fight, um, like fight a bunch, get some experience um, for when that time comes. So I can be like, the reason why I, like, I had, I came back and kind of had like three fights pretty quick. I was like, Bosh, um, I want to feel like so comfortable with it. So then when I do get to the big organizations, I can be as relaxed and like fluid as I am in the gym kind of thing. Um, so, at, for me personally, I'm just about kind of taking it a step at a time and just fighting until I can be on the radars of the big organisations. Do you know what I mean? So maybe the wrong question for me, but I wouldn't necessarily change any change like myself to um, like I feel like I'm still learning, I'm still mixing everything together, kind of thing. Um, but that's where I'm, where I'm at with it as such. But obviously, Steve fighting on on Cage Warriors literally fought for like a the Cage Warriors title. It's, in a bit of a different I situation. I was a punch bag. <laughs> no, you wasn't. No, you wasn't. Um, I feel like that question is probably better for Steve personally. Obviously, he's a little bit further along in his professional career. Well, this is um, why I wanted to get more out of you at this point, because my initial question with this is about the way you approach your pro career. So it's not so much, do you go to the UFC next? The case of, do you then plan fights to then build that UFC pathway and build that blueprint and such? Or do you do what's natural for you at each stage to the sensible fights instead of taking extra risks to try and get yourself on that spotlight is where that was really coming from. Like, that'll be um that'll be obviously the job of like, management. Obviously Jack looks after everyone's yeah, looks after them kind of pathways for all of us. Um but it doesn't mean you 
I well, I'm obviously talking for Jack, but I know for a fact he wouldn't he wouldn't decline any tough fights. But obviously, you make I imagine he's making like sensible calls and making the right moves, not like reckless decisions and um, like some. I know definitely some gyms and some managements probably do like um, if you get what I mean. So, Steve, with you then, obviously being further along in your career and also having yes. other commitments, how do you find then with your fighters and trying to stay active versus getting sensible matchups and also like progression on that trajectory and stuff? How do you find managing that all? Uh, again, sort of down to, to Jack, really, but I'm, I'm sort of at the stage where I can't really be picky in my fights you know what I mean there isn't really a sensible fight or there's no one I can really fight that's going to pro progress me any further that isn't going to be a tough fight do you know what I mean I'm sort of picking at the top now so it's do you know what I mean I can't really fight a bum which isn't going to make it any any good for me all my fights now are, are tough um and I, I'll never really turn down a fight, to be fair. Sort of getting on in my career now. I'm 33 this year. So, do you know what I mean? It's, uh, I think I've got four fights left on my contract. So, I want four good fights, really, to have another push for the belt. See how it goes, really. See where the next four fights take me. Um, I never thought, to be fair, when I... When I started this, I only did it because I like watching it on TV, and I just <laughs> thought I just thought I'd give it a go. I never, it was never really like a a, a dream, like oh, I really want to fight on the UFC sort of thing. Yeah, I want, I would, I would love to do it because why wouldn't you? If you're doing this, you want to do it, you know, the best you can. But for me, it was always just a bit of fun. Um, just something I enjoyed doing and I kept Betty winning which pushed me even further up the you know up the rankings and just happened to take me where I've got to um, yeah ooh, like Lee said it's a full time job commitment I've got family now little one is sort of bills are more important than you know the career at the minute so it's sort of sacrificed really but yeah, I'm, I'm happy with what I'm doing. And if I keep winning and takes me further, then happy days. But at the moment, I'm I'm comfortable with where I am really in my career. Obviously, I want to be pushing for the belt again. That's the, that's, the, that's the plan for the next four fights. So it's when you keep winning, it's not if you keep winning. Now, yeah, with yeah. that as well, like it's always an interesting situation that because you go from the initial interest to then taking it seriously in that transition from a hobby to a career to something you're taking seriously, like literally being a professional athlete. And again, yeah. is that kind of, I don't know, not quite crossroads, but almost these sort of decisions of, okay, I need to prioritise the immediate food on the table than it is the long-term career and sacrificing these bits and the other. And with that in mind... Yeah, it was... Sorry, sorry Steve, go on. No, go on. I was going to say, like, it, it is, you have to make so many sacrifices to be able to you know compete at the highest level and you know unfortunately i can't i can't make those sacrifices 
And Jack, regards to your input on both these guys, it's like matchmaking other people as well you've matchmaked for. How do you find, yeah. I don't know, their careers versus their potential in that sense? So say Lee, for example, say like rising prospect, three fights, pretty like short time between them. How do you find about getting the next kind of thing booked up with that? Do you aim for someone on the same kind of level? Do you try and push and see what you, how far he gets? Is it a case of, I don't know. Do you have a specific I think kind of like person? A, Sorry. You know, if you, it depends. Obviously, it depends on the age of the fighter and you know their their marketability and all that sort of stuff and their personality. But um, if you've got like a like a young a young prospect like Lee, you know, who's um, you know, it's pretty marketable. It's got a good fan base, stuff like that. Then you do what you do want to look after. Um, you want to get you want to make sure they get the the right fights to to test their um, test their ability, but not you know, but not pushing too too hard. So uh, so you know, so they they can they can they can pass each test as, as they they go. You know, so you don't want them to take too much of you know you don't want them to take too big a fight um and sort of knock their confidence or set them back um but you want to you want to gradually increase the level of competition so they 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 can prove themselves and, and they can test their ability they can gain confidence to beat the you know increasing level of competition so so that you, you know firstly they they get to a level where they're confident fighting the elite fighters you know the, the guys in the U, you know the, the matchmakers in UFC that sign sign fighters. They they know when guys have padded records, um, and they you know, and they they won't they they won't they won't sign them um, with guys with padded records. So they they're looking for legit talent that can compete in the divisions. Um, but but with with that in mind, obviously you want to make sure that they keep winning. So yet you, you do have to be careful with the matchups, but. You, you want to increase the level of competition so they can, you know, test themselves each time out. Um, and to the thing, if they're not passing those tests, then they're not they're not ready to make to go on to the next stage of competition. Um, so you have to to maybe maybe pull pull them back and, and take the level down again um, once they once they build back up. Um, Sorry, but yeah, that's. Really, I think it's the the best way to do to do it. Where's to say with that whole situation then between you and Lee, when it comes to you know Lee's potential from a coaching perspective, and so you give him a challenge, how do you then find? I don't know, Lee. How do you then find? I don't know. Obviously, you trust Jax's judgment. You trust all this kind of stuff. How do you find being honest with any kind of vulnerability on that? So, say you start underperforming in training, you're putting more pressure on yourself. How do you find having that conversation with Jack saying, okay, I might have built more than I can chew and these kind of things, if you see what I mean? Um, well, I don't think, obviously, I complete, I obviously trust Jack with, I know Jack wouldn't suggest a fight to me unless he thought I was capable for one. And if, for example, I was, say, for example, we could see like a, a change in my enthusiasm or he could, uh, he'd seen like a, I don't know, like, say, for example, I was like not, maybe doing as well in spine. He was just honest about it. Like, you can't just kind of fill people's heads up with smoke and, like, big people up to be something they're not. You have to be real with, like, with your fighters. 
and that's something that Jack always is. Obviously, he's not ruthless. He's always constructive. Um, but you have to have a good relationship with your coaches and coaches with the fighters, obviously. Like, he knows... He knows what I'm capable of, capable of. He can see if I'm if I have a couple dodgy weeks of sparring. Like a lot of the time, I'll message him anyway, sparred shit or whatever. Uh, like just to see what he thinks. Obviously, he watches the rounds. He sees how like we're all sparring, um, and just I think I feel like it's good to just have good communication with your coaches and obviously vice versa, which we we do. I know for a fact we do, obviously. Um, so I don't know if I don't if I felt like something was up, I feel like I wouldn't have there wouldn't be like too much pressure to, to say anything kind of thing. I know for a fact there's been guys who have had fights and obviously I'm not naming anyone or anything, but I know for a fact there's guys who have had fights who are maybe slacking on training and stuff and Jack's said, Right, well, you're not gonna fight. You can't it's say as that because Steve's right there, he'll get upset. <laughs> <laughs> I'm probably one of the laziest ones. The thing is with Steve is that Steve could not turn up for training for three weeks and go in a fight and still put on fight the night. Every single fight he's, he's <laughs> always excited. a good fight. Yeah. Um, he's, he's also one of the toughest Lazy. men alive. So, so yeah, you never have to worry about Steve. But yeah, Lee, to your point before I really interrupted with my hilarious joke. Got to laugh because he has my podcast. Yeah, you're, you're hilarious, mate. Anyway, that's what you're on. Anyway, <laughs> he's, been, he's been trained. But yeah, it is really interesting. Again, where that question really comes from is the sense of this dilemma between your trust in Jack versus your belief in yourself and your own abilities and this kind of, I don't know, this crossroads again I'm going to sort of use, for example, for, okay, at what yeah. point do I then believe in myself? Or am I putting everything in belief in Jack in this in that sort of process and something might be missing and something you might not be seeing? And then, I know it's an interesting kind of thing. So I feel like you've always got... Go oh, sorry, go on. Finish, finish what you're saying. Sorry, mate. No, it's just more in the sense of, I don't know, the pressure to then meet the standards versus your actual ability in itself being, say, if you're more tense, you're not going to perform the same way you are if you're relaxed and you're having fun with it. Yeah. And again, it's kind of potential versus, I don't know, practice as such. Um. Well... To your kind of your question, um, you have to believe in yourself anyway from the start. You can't just put, you can't just do something, especially like as big of a deal as kind of a competition in MMA. Like, it's, you can't just believe, you can't be like, oh, well, he thinks I'm all right, so I must be all right, um, and go through with a You have to have some kind of belief in yourself, like, obviously. Um, but you then, like, you then put your faith in your coaches to improve like the belief that you already have in your abilities um like to go through the right drills to kind of progress in the right way and stuff like that but um like i definitely i definitely believe like over over time i can get like where i want to be with the guys who i'm training with obviously like through the coaches and and i have kind of faith in my coaches but i also have faith that i i'm willing to go through with it i love the camps and stuff like that um, and I love putting the work in, getting in shape, developing my skills and stuff. So it's kind of 50, it's got to be 50 50 and believing in your coaches and believing in yourself. Yeah, I, I feel like anyway, it has, you have to have a bit of both there, surely. I mean, you need to sort of build that rapport as well. Like, that's why people can't just jump into a gym just for a camp. You need to build that sort of relationship, like, through the course of, okay, you know what they 
what banter you how far you can push him how far you can sort of you know say this that and the other and how the sparring is and you sort of build to sort of okay i understand what how they spar what to expect and what they're sort of how they are as a person really and um, say when one of you's got a fight what's the i don't know input outside so say steve's got a fight booked so i don't know eight weeks out how how involved are you guys in that process of okay the whole session can be around this upcoming fight is it going to be okay when it comes to sparring you know do something specific or what's your input when it comes to someone's got a fight in the gym like coming up well jack got that one it's jack's <laughs> that's a question for jack well yeah like normally we you know we, we watch a lot of tape on uh, the opponents and we try and do specific drills for, for that and and bringing like specific sparring partners or trying to get sparring partners to mimic you know what what their opponent might be doing so yeah it's, it's really specific with it i guess like a few years ago we never used to do it as well as we do it now but i think the way we're game planning and training and stuff is working a lot better um and you know we we're watching a lot more tape on, on the fighters as well and trying to encourage the fighters to watch the tape as well because I know I, I used to do it as well. I never used to want to watch any tape of a fight, an underground fight, and I just wanted to focus on myself. I don't think that's the best. Uh, yeah, I don't think that's the best the best way to do it. So yeah, lots of uh, lots of game planning and lots of uh, specific training and sparring. Now with that, then Jack, the way you sort of describe that, and you're, I'm almost I don't know, being pushed to be more independent with it in your own sort of research, thinking, okay. It, Yes, I'm going to do this as your coach, but also I need to, you need to be able to work out to do it yourself. Do you instill that in the guys a lot? Do you sort of say, okay, I've looked at this, but you should also do that? Or is it a case of, you know, I'm going to look at it, but you don't really should. What's your approach on that? Yeah, I always try and um, ask the guys, like send them a text or speak to them, you know, about what they, how they think they're going to win. Always ask that question because I'd like to, to make sure that they genuinely think about it and uh, and coming up with a plan themselves as well, and not just like listening to me and blindly, you know, blindly, you know, just following what what I say. I'd rather them have a, some independent thoughts and you know, independent plans themselves. Now, on that note of independent thoughts and their own sort of thing about that, Steve, how do you find? I don't know, developing. Variety in your sort of style and your fight as such. So when it comes to your, I don't know, your experience in building your own sort of style, building your sort of game plans, how do you find, I don't know, trying things differently, or is it a case of you've seen what works and don't break what isn't broken as such, don't fix what isn't broken? Um, just lazy, simple <laughs> as that. Really, I, I try. Then I think I was in such a habit for for so long, just the just the way I fought sort of thing is sort of it's hard um, to get out of that now. That, um, that I always say I'm gonna start throwing more kicks. I throw about two kicks and then that's it in the fight. No more kicks or don't know. It's just just the it comes down to the the time again for me. Um, like I started started up in my jiu-jitsu that I was doing I was going like two times a week like up in my training and then I, I'd have that fight that I was doing all that training for and then just gradually fall out of routine 
and then the next fight I sort of not so much sort of jiu-jitsu based just using that for example so then I would sort of stick to something else most of my training camps are sort of training specifics for that fight I've never really been one to sort of improve my overall game just through having lack of time sort of thing to concentrate on going to jiu-jitsu going to my kickboxing going to my MMA my wrestling sort of thing it's sort of always just been MMA class wrestling class the odd jiu-jitsu class here and there um, just to see me by Um, not good but I do do what I've had to do to get to where I am obviously I would love to be able to you know improve my overall game and you know put the time in because I know it will benefit me massively but it all comes down to the time and the sacrifices again and you know I, I can't commit to it um, that's that's it really. Now, Jack, on the topic of the busiest man in the world and um, time management and all that kind of good stuff that comes along with that, how do you then find managing not only your sort of coaching but also the individual guys when it comes to their structuring of fight camps and stuff? So say Steve or Lee's got a fight coming up. Is there any point you sit down and say, okay, this is your structure, this is the time you've got to do this, that and the other? Or is it a case of you sort of advise them in certain ways and make them fit them in whenever they can, as such? Well, it really depends on really depends on the fighter. Um, you know, for instance, like uh, like we like Steve was just saying, you know, Steve Steve works full time job, got a demanding missus, <laughs> um, he's got a kid, um, all those types of things. It's like uh, uh, it's tough to do it all, um, and uh, yeah, it's. Uh, yeah, you have to work. You have to work around. You know, the times that, that for instance, Steve's available to train um, with other guys. You know, that uh, are not working. You know, they're they're able to train three times a day, get rest, get you know, have naps during the day, stuff like that. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but um, yeah. So, so some of them are able to do that. So. It really is. It's a horse for course and, and different stuff for the, the different fighters. So we work, try and work it out individually with the fighters and try and work out the training sessions around that. I mean, that is a really important. I mean, most of the questions I'm going to ask stem to the answer of depends on the fighter. This is where I sort of ask these kind of yes, no yeah. questions, expecting a bit of a it kind of depends answer because this is kind of the point. And this is why when people ask these questions of themselves, it's like, if I follow this specific way of doing it, it's not going to be, you know, very simple. Okay, it depends. And that's a really important way of, the way you've been answering these things, if it depends on your fighters. And when it comes in, I don't know, the emotional investment versus the, I don't know, the matter of fact kind of side. So say you take someone like Lee, because, you know, Steve disconnected, think this phone's died. But uh, say it's Lee's fight, it's being in his corner and appreciating the sport for what it is. Obviously, you see, I don't know, Lee taking some damage. The coach and you know, the never lover, the lover in you is thinking, "Oh no, my my lead's getting hurt." But also you're thinking, "Okay, let's try and not get too worked up and trying to be matter of fact with this kind of thing." How do you find? I don't know. Seeing guys you put time into, and keeping your coach's head on instead of you know your friend and side of it. Uh, well, I mean, it's a it's a good example. Like Lee's last fight, um, we we flew out to Italy. Was it your last fight? Or was it the fight uh, before? One before. 
Michelle Clemente, was it? Was that it? Yes. So, yeah. I think, yeah, I think yeah, that was he went, it. He went out throughout to Italy, uh, did like a, a great camp. He was, you know, super ready for it. Great game plan. Um, first round game plan was pretty perfect. Didn't really get caught with anything. You know, the, the guy who was fighting was was legit. One of Italy's best, best definitely best band of mates. One of one of their best fighters, to be fair. Um, and we knew it was going to be a problem. We had a good game plan. It was working well first round. Everything good. Second round, I think Lee got a bit complacent. Didn't move his feet as, as much uh, after, he, after he three shots and got caught with a, a knee, which sort of wobbled into the wind, wind out of him. And then the guy started pouring it on. And there was a, there was a point in that second round. Where, a couple of nice overs. Yeah. And he had him against the cage. He was landing on the elbows and knees. And I was like, oh, I was, I was seriously worried, very upset, and was about to throw in the towel. And then Lee dug deep, reversed the position, took him down, you know, bit of ground and pound, and then choked him, choked him out. And uh, and and obviously, it was he was amazing, but you know, it was a tough fight, and and uh, and obviously, you see all that work that goes in, and 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 your fighter in trouble. For the, only for a, like a, you know, ten seconds of the fight. Feels like forever, though, didn't it? <laughs> I was, I was worrying that, that Charlie was in my corner as well. Was worrying, um, and it's uh, and yeah, it's it's definitely an emotional time, and and that's why we do it. I think you know, there's uh, lots of highs and lots lots of lows um, in the sport, and uh, it really does build to like massive, like really incredible friendships, and and uh, and you know become you know brothers and teammates and all that sort of stuff and yeah it's a tough one to see to see your your fire or teammate in, in that position yeah it sounds like quite intense work kind of moment the way you sort of described that just imagine yeah. that, like, me sort of struggling you've got mascara running down your face you're getting really upset, you're thinking oh god it's quite intense when it comes to this what you touched on there's really important that kind of camaraderie the sense of you're in the trenches together you're in this whole emotional state together this heightened emotional kind of we know what's been put in we know the sort of struggles and training but now this is the, the finished product we've seen what's gone into this and this is where you get that kind of understanding of okay i'm got to say anything but we know we've all been been through it as such now fighting yeah. in italy where did that come about like was it how did of all the fights and all the shows to get why italy where where did this opportunity come from um so so there was a there was a I th- so the guy, the guy, there was a guy in Italy, and and I, he he had quite a few fighters on my my event, Casuals Academy, um, and he was he was interested in bringing some some English guys over to fight the Italians. Uh, he was in the proper south of Italy, like I, I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's um, it's different from North Italy. You know, it's different from Milan and Rome and sort of stuff. It's there's basically nothing there. It's, it's quite it's quite poor, lots of mafia, um, and there's there's really there's really not much there. Just just Prime. typical like, Italian, yeah, Italian houses, and it's beautiful. Honestly, a beautiful part of, part of the world, and it's really like a re- they live a really simple life, um, and and yeah, it was. I mean, it's a great great trip and great experience, um, and so we, <laughs> we went. 
we went out there, you know, uh, Julio, who is the guy that uh, was organising the event, wanted to, wanted to have us over. He asked if me would come over and fight. Um, and, and yeah, that's how, that's how it happened. And and we, I think we're looking forward to going back there this year as well. It's definitely, definitely going to happen. So we've got built up a good relationship with with Julio, and we're going to have fighters of from from his gyms and and his region. He, he, he's quite involved in like the the region, uh, the, the MMA uh, in that region. He's going to bring fighters over to the UK and fighters over there. Um, quite similar to the, the other. I've got other coaches in like France and Norway, etc. as well. So with that whole thing then, Lee, talk me through your camp for that then, knowing you're going to fight overseas. And so what was that weight cut like? And then the day itself and everything else? Because again, this whole situation, like, it's all going to go with its cage where it's southeast down the road from you. But if you, you know, trips around Europe, you know, jet setting, talk me, talk me through that. And... Uh, it was a cool, it was a cool experience. Man. It was like, it was Completely different, obviously, to what I'm used to. It's in a different country. Um, like I haven't got the comfort of my own home. Like it's not like it's not like it's down the road from where I live. Like when I fight on the like Cage Wars Academy here and stuff like that. Um, but like I was I was looking forward to it. Obviously, I just I literally just fought in October on the Cage Wars Academy show anyway. But I was still. Like, I was still fit. Like, I didn't go mad or anything like that, eating or drinking, like, anything like after. Um, but I think Jack said to me about it, like, it was a possibility before I even fought on the Cage Warriors show, I think. Or it was, like, around that kind of time uh, on the Cage Warriors Academy show, sorry. And um, I was like, oh, we'll see what happens. Obviously, I hadn't fought in, in like, a good year. And I was like, we'll see what happens. And then after, um, obviously, that went couldn't have gone any better um it was like yeah it was, we'll go to Italy it was literally four days before Christmas um but it was it was a cool experience the weight cut was um was a little bit different like me and Charlie there was no sauna we walked around the whole town like Jack was saying there's literally nothing there's not that much there and it's four days before Christmas everything's kind of shut for Christmas and whatnot um like we don't speak a word of Italian. No one else speaks a word of English. It's not really touristy where we was. Um, me and Charlie Falco literally having conversations with people with Google Translate, like around, like looking for a supermarket even to get some snacks and stuff for after the weigh-ins. Um, but there was no hot water in the shack. Like in there was no bath for one. It was like a like a wet room kind of thing. So it's like there's the bath out of the window. Um, and then we walked around the town for a bit. Um, we walked around the town for a bit. The sauna, um, <laughs> we found this sauna, right? But we was banging on, it was like quite a nice actual, it was like, like quite a nice looking building for like a poorer part of uh, of Italy. And we was banging on the window to get in. And I think they thought we was like, I don't know, like some little hooligans or something. They wouldn't let us in. Um like there was a camera pointing, so we knew people was in there and everything. Like the light was on, the door. Like we're banging on this glass door, and no one lets us in. So there goes our sauna as well. Um, I had scales and stuff with me, so I could check my weight. But I literally, and bearing in mind it's freezing cold, it's like it's not as cold as here, but it was still like twenty second December, uh, still like twentieth uh, December or whatever it was. So I, I whack on a tracksuit, um, put some thick socks on. And we close all like 
we turn the fan off, close all, close all the windows, shut all the doors. And we, me and Charlie literally just start like doing some drills and stuff, just trying to get a bit of a sweat going. Um, because there's no hot water. There's nothing like to make weight. Like I was saying to Charlie, cause I think it was only, that was only my second fight at Bantamweight. I was like, there would be no flyweight cut in these conditions. Like <laughs> there would be no cut to 125 in these conditions at all. Um, so it weren't actually too bad. I think I was working out for maybe an hour or so. I had my parker on as well with my hood up, like my fluffy hood. Like, yeah, and then we're like trying to figure out, because obviously it's the day before a fight. I don't want to go absolutely mad and be like pretty tired on fight day. So it was like trying to figure out what exercises kind of thing I could do that would use kind of or put as little strain on my muscles um, so it's literally just like straight shots, like not even fully extended, just trying to get trying to get warm. So I got myself pretty sweaty, then just was kind of back and forward doing that. Um, and then asked, went downstairs, got some more towels. Or Charlie did while I was having to move around and just trying to stay sweaty and whatever. Um, and then just got in the towels. But I didn't actually luckily have that much to sweat out. So it wasn't a disaster. Um, but it was just a whole, it was a cool experience to be fair. Like obviously fighting away from my, I've never fought abroad before. Um, there was only me, Jack, and Charlie there, so it's not like even on fight day. Usually, like the whole gym's kind of lurking around. Everyone's having a bit of banter and doing like whatever, just like having a joke and a laugh, and everything kind of feels quite normal. Fighting in the like, we've all had a few fights now. You kind of all know what to expect. You know how the day goes, kind of thing, and you kind of just wait to fight. It's kind of normal, but abroad everything's different. You don't even know where you're going. Like you've got to wait to be picked up by these people who don't speak any English and you don't even speak any Italian. It's like, there, it was a cool experience. I said, like, I did say to Jack and Charlie, it was like, it's an experience that I haven't had before in MMA. And even while me and Charlie was kind of working out in this hotel room, um, I just said, where in the where in the world would you be doing this on any, any other like circumstances? Like just in a foreign country, not speaking a word of Italian, like just kind of, trying to make weight in this in this hotel room with no hot water and no heating like where in the, where else what any other sport or anything else uh or any other circumstance would you be doing them kind of thing it's, it's an experience you can only get through in an MMA and obviously especially abroad as well like it's cool it was a good experience did you mention you you're on the bunk bed and you had top bunk <laughs> there was bunk beds but I don't even think it was I don't me and Charlie weren't on the bunk beds to be fair. There was four beds. Um I wish I wish there was two rooms because I I if ever Jack's coming to stay away for a fight again, I'm bringing ear defenders. Because I, I was up at four o'clock in, it's fight day at it was literally four o'clock in the morning. I'm fighting that same day. I was just like, this is getting beyond a joke. I tried to put these stupid little headphones on that don't even cover my whole ear, and all I can hear is Jack and he it literally sounds like like someone's just shot like a warthog or something and it hasn't <laughs> actually done. I've never heard someone like I've never heard anything like it. Honestly, I was like, this has got to be some kind of joke. I was half <laughs> giving him a nudge. But in the what end I'd kind of try and <laughs> uh, honestly it was awful I tried to put one pillow over like and then I start I was awake so long that I kind of Jack has like a pattern when he sleeps he rolls around a lot and it was even I can't remember now like I was awake this long this was fight at 4am and uh 
I was awake this long, and Charlie was as well, but we, we was at the other end of the room, so it's not like we was even talking to each other. I just assumed Charlie was asleep, and he assumed I was asleep. Um, but it was Jack would kind of go on his side for a bit, and I was like, oh, sweet, this is my window. This is where I get my sleep in. So I got I get my sleep in a little bit, and then as soon as he'd lay flat on his back and go... <laughs> I was just like, oh, the snoring's back. So I was like, I'm going to have to try and, try and block it out. And then he'd roll over again. I was like, there's my new window. There's like, That's my next window for 20 minutes sleep or something. It's a real fight. Yeah, honestly, I was like, this is never happening again. <laughs> but no, nah, it's cool. The whole thing is cool. But Jack did get a photo of me and Charlie on the bunk beds, to be fair. Fuck you. So, <laughs> Sorry, so with that then, like... If you take it back a bit, like as you walk around the streets of Italy in the middle of the fucking nowhere with some scales, and you park on thinking, you know what? Please let me come in here to sweat. Just sort of desperately trying to like get yeah. some like, broken like Italian. Like, oh, please, I need to sweat. <laughs> I need to fight. <laughs> well, Charlie, Charlie actually is always got Italian. Like his second name's Falco. He's like there's some Italian in his family, and the people thought he was Italian. So like these people was like looking at him for conversation and stuff, and Charlie was just like, just like uh, and then, I don't know what to say. He's like, nah. He's like, it's just like, nah. It's not not happening. No bueno. <laughs> no point. <laughs> no, he's just, he's just, no Italian. Um, yeah, he's just like, nah. He's like, nah. Sorry. Or he wouldn't even say anything. He's just like, ah. Then we kind of just leave. Um. But no, we, I was like, yeah, that sauna thing. We was banging on the window and they just weren't coming to the door to let us in. Um, they, so the sauna was not happening. <laughs> How much but, weight did you have to lose in the first place then? Like, talk me through numbers then. So what point are you like trying to cut at this stage? So like, obviously 61 is a limit. What are you trying to cut yeah. from at that point? I can't remember. Now. It weren't it weren't drastic at all. Like I don't, I've never had. I think the last show was what I cut the most, and I only cut maybe a kilo and a half in water, if that. Maybe two kilos, maybe a kilo and a half, or kilo and a half of the mo- in the morning. But because I'm nowhere near as depleted or anything as I have been in, a, it just falls off me really, and I'm kind of just. I'm. It's an easy cut. It really is. To be fair. So, but if in. I think it was the same, the same to me. I think I had a, maybe over just over a kilo or something, so it didn't take that long. I think I was was moving around for maybe an hour, sweating, and then I had maybe twenty minutes in the towels. Yeah, that's these. So, only a kilo to cut. That's all he needed. Mm, all he nice. That's easy. Violin. Do you hear that? It's the world's smallest violin. I've done I've done some rubbish cuts as well. To be fair, I just don't. They're all rubbish. Don't matter what number it is. None none of them are nice, obviously, because you still go through the same thing. You still um, like do the fasting and stuff. You still drink the water, regardless how much you got to cut. Um, Like do the water loading and stuff uh, and whatnot. But sometimes it's just nice when you haven't got to sweat out like ridiculous amounts of weight, and then you don't feel normal for a long time. Like you don't feel normal even on fight day at times. Like who when you do, what do you mean? Who doesn't? As in, like, do you do it yourself? Is it someone your nutritionist? Is it Jack? Who does your nah. manages it? Nah, like, do it myself. <laughs> like, we all kind of do it ourselves. We all, we all at this kind of point, you all should know what you should and shouldn't be eating, um, or have some kind of understanding of what you should be doing on fight week. So it's just through trial and error, really. I remember there was times where I had no idea what I was doing. 
<laughs> like when I was younger and I was eating way too much, way too late, and I had to make weight and or eating barely anything for like weeks out or like it's trial and error. It's got to be like, but I still feel like it's difficult to get bang on a hundred percent like every time kind of thing. What's like even, even changes. What's the worst ritual you guys have had? So like day, so you've just weighed in. What's like the biggest bro science thing you guys have done regards to trying to rehydrate? I'm thinking, okay, if I have all this like Chinese buffet. What's that, Steve? This is probably one. Chinese buffet. Something wrong. What did you have? So talk to me. So you got for scales. What was the plan from there onwards? Just get as much like soy sauce down here or what? Just Chinese buffet. Just get it in there. Just get everything in there. Get it in there. (laughs) But I didn't drink enough, and then because I was so full, I couldn't drink. I was up all night. Just as soon as I drank a tiny bit of water, I was getting like stump. You know, when you just eat too much, and it's just pain in my stomach. I've done I've just... done things like that as well. Like actually, the worst cut I ever had. Sorry, Steve, was you finished? No, but carry on. No, you go on, go on. I'll just come back. <laughs> now I'm done. I'm done. When it's done, done. <laughs> um. So the worst one I had, to be fair. Uh. I think I had a few fights that were pretty quick, like off the back of each other kind of thing. And I was just like, ah, I'll be all right. I think I had like seven, maybe six, seven weeks or something. I was like, ah, I was like, ah, I'll be fine. Obviously, after you have one fight, you still have a little bit of a binge for maybe a few days or a week or however long, sometimes longer. <laughs> but um, I was like, nah, I'll be fine. I had, but I had, I think I had like three, just over three kilos to do in the morning after the, that's after the fast after I stopped eating and drinking for the best part of a day um, and I still had three and I was like oh this is going to be a big one I know when you talk to Jack about his bloody stupid 14 kilo bloody water cuts or whatever yeah it's middle but he's a big guy (laughs) and I'm still crazy it's still crazy regardless of how big you are don't get me wrong like you can't take anything away from that but three kilos over three was quite big for me um I looked like a corpse on the scales. Like I was the last one to make weight. We was up at six o'clock in the morning in the sauna and stuff like that. Um, and then, so everyone else was slowly dipping off. Um, everyone else was slowly dipping off out of the sauna. Whereas there's like all the fighters from the whole show kind of in and out of the sauna all morning. Um, and then it was just me and my opponent were the only ones left to make weight. Um, so I ended up killing myself making it and got on the scales, looked corpsey as hell. Like, there was no life there. Uh, he actually missed weight by, uh, what, eight pounds? Eight pounds? Yeah, he missed weight by, yeah, mate. He, well, I think he weighed in at like 133 for a 125 fight or something. Um, so he was a big boy. <laughs> well, like... Well, obviously, I had the option, and I was like, "Yeah, I'm still fine." And I was like, "I just killed myself making weight." I was like, "I'm damn, I'm still fine." Of course, I'm. Um, but the refuel went just as bad as the cut. I was so, so like dry, and just started binge eating like everything you probably shouldn't. Like, went out for dinner that night. Went out for breakfast that or the morning of fight, like fight day. Had some lunch. Like, I went out for lunch. I had like three meals, three big ass meals that probably bloated me out. Uh, I actually had like a proper pot belly even in the fight video like it was awful I was warming up and I was like Jack stop warming me up because I'm going to be gassed I was just like I can't barely move I was like I'm going to throw up or something uh, but I ended up 
I ended up winning that fight anyway, which was cool. Um, but it, I, would, I would never be in that position again. I think after I got off the scales, I had to get in bed in one of the hotel rooms and just lay there for a bit. Like, I, as soon as I drank any water, I felt like I was about to pass out. I was like, this is crazy. I was like, this, I was like I'm never doing this again. But the, all of the cuts that I've had since have been have been good, to be fair. What about you, Stephen? So you had your Chinese buffet refuel. Give me a few other sort of yeah. examples then of your sort of questionable cuts and stuff, because easily talking about. Uh, like, you know, no, I've never. Couple of apart from obviously the the Mads Bunnell fight, all my cuts have been pretty good. To be fair, all pretty. No, it's a lie. But one one bad one. I uh, when I was fighting up in Norwich in my early, I think it was one of my. I think it might have been my second or my third pro fight. I didn't. Um, I had the old sort of style boxing scales once we move along yeah. at a house at my home and I hadn't I hadn't um, checked them from the previous fight to make sure they were accurate so I was just using them and then when I got to the gym to uh, to start using the sauna and stuff I jumped on their scales and I was a kilo and a half heavier than what my scale said <laughs> um, and then for like three four hours I was in and out of the sauna um, and then I had a two-hour drive up to Norwich while I was fully dehydrated, um, pure road rage all the way. Um, got there, jumped on the scales. I was overweight still. Oh, um, two hours! <laughs> I'm just in the car. Yeah, I was so much road rage. Um, put on a put on a, all my clothes, uh, placky bag. Skipped for like 15, 20 minutes. Plucky. Took the bag off, and it was bone dry. Literally uh, nothing left, and obviously I didn't make weight for that fight, but still went ahead. Um, card, I can't remember if I won or lost that one. I'm not too sure, but yeah, that in, in the pictures I'm like, all my face is green, my eyes are sunk in, <laughs> just got no like pure pure crackhead. Is uh, that was the worst? <laughs> that, that that was the worst one I've had. Um, but yeah, other than that, they've all been pretty good. <laughs> Got it down to a T now, really, to be honest. Lee, you've got a variety of wallpaper in your house. What you got now? You've got roses now. A minute ago, you had... um. So we've got roses in the front room. I actually chose... That was my bedroom I was sitting in before. Um, That's your bedroom now, you liar. This <laughs> 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 is my bed. That's all good. My bedroom is like a matchbox, honestly. It's the smallest room in the house. Like, Because it's, it's... you're only a small human, that's why. This is quite no, it's, like a, it's like a massive room for me. <laughs> um, like, Tom, like Tom Farmer. I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> nah. Um, yeah, but we have we have a variety. Do you want to see the hall as well? Yeah, it's like a little house. We've got, we've got blue roses in the hall. We've got blue roses there. We've got some flowers. Do you want to see the dog? Well, you can't really see her, she's all black. Well, she's not got any roses on her, that's a bit of a shame. No, well, she hasn't actually, to be fair. But right, she's just chilling. Have you got roses on sleeve in your tattoo? Yeah, I've got a couple actually. I've got, I've got, yeah, I've got like two roses. That's to match the front room or the um, hallway. <laughs> yeah, I've got the tattoo just to match the uh, the wallpaper in the front room. Well, if you change the wallpaper, you've got to get a new tattoo then. Oh, I reckon so. I'll have to keep it just keep covered in wallpaper toes. Let's <laughs> get a print sorted. Is Jack still there? Uh, Jack's doing what Jack's doing something. He's uh it's probably working. He's probably packing. 
Probably yeah, he's probably even working. <laughs> yeah, on a work call. He's working out on a work call, listening to someone moan about something or... He's probably on another podcast, I think. Imagine that. He's just hearing you, like, you know, talk about wallpaper. He's thinking, oh, fuck, I've got half an hour. I've got more important things to talk about than wallpaper. You know, it's on a Wednesday night, but here we are. This is what we've become. Yeah, I know. And it's literally 25 past 10 on a Wednesday night and we're talking about the wallpaper, like the different wallpaper in my house. <laughs> you won't get that on any other podcast. That's an exclusive. We've got Lee Mitchell's wallpaper breakdown. The analysis. That's it. You can't get that anywhere else. That's a selling point. <laughs> That's what we want. All right, boys. I'll let you um, enjoy the rest of your evening. Where can people find you on the old socials? You go first, Steve. Um... Steve Aimable on Facebook, um, Aimable four five five at on um, Twitter, and Steve Aimable four five five on Instagram. What is the four five five? Very much on there, so <laughs> it's not the most excited socials. Just looks cool. You just put it in there because yeah. it looks cool. Um, mine's at lr mitchell ninety seven. That's uh, that's my Instagram, Twitter. Um, and if anyone's on PlayStation, that's my PlayStation as well. Um, play some Warzone or something. Yeah, you can crossplay. It's all good. Um, yeah, yeah, that's, that's about it. Um, I don't know what Jack's is. is Jack Stonemason in that thing? Oh, Jack's is, yeah, Jack uh, at Jack the Stonemason, I think. I'm pretty sure. Starting good, but I'm sure it'll come um, on. I think that's easy. Today's episode is brought to you by Mauler MMA. Use code FCMMA20 at checkout for 20% off on all products on MaulerMMA.com.